Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. What you're about to hear is a special preview of the latest episode of the Grant Williams podcast, featuring my special guest, James Davolos of Horizon Kinetics. Throughout the entirety of my various podcast series, one theme has been a persistent talking point. That's inflation. Is inflation likely to return after essentially a 40-year absence, or will deflation maintain the upper hand? One thing is for certain. The answer to this important question has the potential to necessitate the biggest shift in portfolio construction for a generation, a topic James and I delve into during what was a fascinating conversation. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the Silver Tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on this show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Well, James, welcome to the podcast. So happy that you could spend a bit of time to sit and chat with me. Thanks for having me. Really excited to, to be here today. And I've been a big fan of yours for, gosh, probably a decade now. Well, thank you. The signs that I'm getting older keep mounting by the day, unfortunately. <laughs> thank you very much. Now, you know, listen, the reason I'm so thrilled to get a chance to talk to you is with the series of podcasts that I've been doing with Fleck, The End Game. when people ask me what my key takeaway has been from that, I keep coming back to the this idea of inflation returning. And it seems to me, whether it's coming back tomorrow or next week or next year, it feels like we're at the point now where it's becoming a threat that needs consideration once again. And, and we've had so many smart people on, and this subject keeps coming up. And you know what I find fascinating is there are supremely brilliant minds on both sides of the argument. And so you know, my own view is that inflation is most likely to be in our future, and it may not be for a while, and we may get a deflationary uh, shock before it happens. But I think it's maybe close enough that people start need to start kind of factoring it into their portfolio allocations and stuff. And so with what you guys at Horizon are doing, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for you and I to sit and chat about inflation and get your kind of thoughts on it for someone that's come to view it as very much an investable opportunity at this point in the cycle. So, so I'd love to kind of get some background from you on how your thoughts on inflation have developed, where they've come from, and, and how you've kind of built the framework. And then we'll get to how you're investing in that a little bit later on. Sure. And I think a good a good place to start is our, our firm where we're fairly fundamental, traditional, I'd say eclectic value managers. And everything that we do is is done within the context of a evaluation framework and business quality assessment. But probably five, six years ago, I remember going into our investment committee and Murray Stahls, our CIO, and he kept bringing up different episodes of fiat currencies being debased within the context of the Fed just continuously keeping rates very low, money supply growth, deficits, 
growing federal debt. And the, the, the day that I think it really first dawned on me, it wasn't the day, but he came in with one of his, he's famous for his, his reading and his, his book collection. Uh, I think it was Sidney Homer, The History of Interest Rates. And I mean, you can stand on that book to get a better view. Yeah. So, so I ordered it not knowing any better and it shows up to my doorstep <laughs> like a brick. And yeah. I, I, I was joking. I think Murray's the only person on earth who might've read that book verbatim. Right. right. But I had just finished reading uh, Mary Beard's book on Rome SPQR. And so I think one of the, the anecdotes from Rome that's just so pertinent today is the the gradual debasement of money and, and how that can be accepted by the masses until it isn't. And so in the, in the book, they reference the Oxford Handbook of Greek and Roman coinage uh, by William Metcalf. But going all the way back to the age of Augustus, the, the denarius had about four and a half grams of silver, and about mm-hmm. 31 BC. And the silver content declined to about 3.9 grams. Uh, and then by Nero, it was about 3.4. And even in the third century, it still contained about three grams of silver. So in almost 500 years, the debasement was only about 33%. So let's put that within context of what's happened in the United States with the dollar, where M2 has grown approximately 160% since the onset of the global financial crisis in late 2007. And M2 has grown over 27% since the onset of the, let's call it the pandemic crisis. Yeah. So there really is a precedent for this. And the denarius historians recognize, obviously it eventually collapsed where it went down to almost zero silver content. And at a certain point, the only people who, there was hyperinflation and the only people that could actually dictate their wages were mercenaries who demanded to be paid in gold. But this currency, which was somewhat pejoratively referred to now because it ultimately went to zero, like almost every fiat currency in history, it's still actually the base for many other names of currency. So the Spanish dinero, the Italian denaro, and then all of the different Middle Eastern countries, which use the dinar, is all a, a derivative of the denarius. So it, it's really fascinating to look back at, at the history of that, but then also look at parallels to what's happening with money supply and a, a quote debasement today. Yeah, it's interesting because when you read up on that point in history, the debasement was physical, right? I mean, they were literally either clipping the corners of these coins or reducing the physical amount of silver in the coin. So it was, it was a lot more obvious, either, either by the, you know, the color of the coin or the weight of the coin, you could feel the debasement. And, and I think you know, that ultimately was, was what kind of prompted a lot of the Roman army to say that they weren't going to fight anymore if they kept getting paid in this rapidly depreciating currency. You know, but today, because of the nature of fiat currency, the debasement is is kind of invisible, and it's only really apparent if you a understand how debasement works, and b you kind of go looking for it. Because I, I think um, I think uh, it's very difficult for people that don't take the time to understand it to really get it. You know, because it, you can't see it. You, you think prices are going up, but the reality is is actually completely different. 
Yeah, I, I think one area of inflation that's so hard to study, and you've had so many fascinating people on that I just respect so much with their macro-oriented approach, on actually on both sides of the debate. But behavioral finance is such an important variable when you look at inflation because ultimately the median household needs to have the ability and the propensity to consume. And I think a great example, and you can look at it through the behavioral lens, is to go back to the 60s and the 70s where going all the way back to the 60s, you had Vietnam War spending. Then you had the beginning of Medicare, Medicaid entitlements. And then obviously you had the debase, the, the removal of the gold standard. And still you didn't have really pernicious inflation up until the point where you had the OPEC oil embargo. Yeah. And then I think the, the average person who is now waiting in line on odd days to fill up their tank at a, an exorbitantly higher rate realized wow, I'm going to buy stuff because the stuff sitting in my pocket is going down. And the biggest difference between then and today, which is why I think it's actually a bit more precarious today, is that you ultimately had Chairman Volcker rising rates to where you could invest at a very attractive rate of return in the fixed income market. Equities were ultimately got incredibly inexpensive. But Today, you're being asked at, to, to invest in the 10-year treasury at about 1.6% today. So even if we do get, let's call it target inflation of 2%, you're getting a negative 40 basis point yield in 10 years of duration. Yeah. So that psychologically, I think eventually there's going to be a catch-up. It's interesting. There's a great quote by... Keynes, which I'll, I'll probably completely screw up, but I remember it goes something like, there's no subtler or surer means of overturning society than to debauch the currency. And then he talks about the process engaging all the hidden forces on the side of destruction and doing so in a manner which not one man in a million will be able to diagnose. And I think that's the pernicious part of this. By doing what you do, by deliberately trying to create inflation, there is a, there is a very deliberate aim of that. And I think those points you make about the 70s, you know, I always wonder if it's more of an instinctive reaction. I don't think so many people sit down and say, you know, I'm going to spend my money because, you know, prices are going up and this is a smart thing to do. I think it's just instinct. I, I, just, I just wonder how people really think this through because they, they see prices rising. And they're trying to spend, not because they consciously understand the process and what's coming, but they just think to themselves, well, I just need to get more stuff now because tomorrow it's going to be more expensive. And I think if they really understood the perniciousness of inflation and then listened to the central banks you know, promising to create 2% inflation and allow that to run hot, you know, if more people understood that, I think the attitude to it would be vastly different. I completely agree, and I think that's part of the, the, the tight wire act that they're, that they're trying to achieve right now, because if they came out and overtly said, we're trying to ostensibly debase the currency with which we have to repay our debt, there'd be riots in the streets if people thought that you were basically removing their ability to purchase goods in, in the future. So I don't really know what the tipping point is going to be, but I do think that the recent shift...
The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.